end the series, and, and this is a pretty heavy series because it can really feel, it can feel heavy, it can feel condemning, it can feel like, man, there's no hope. What kind of hope do I have? Do I have idols in my life? But it's a really, really important thing. So we want to be very strategic about how we approach such an important topic as idolatry. See, the Bible talks about idolatry over a thousand times. And so to me, that means this is an important subject. And so how we approach it to me is really, really important because identifying the idols can seem so overwhelming. Uh, and that's what so we talked about last week. And we talked about the first step is, is knowing that we are worshipers. That we are geared to worship, period. That's how we're hardwired. And Joshua, which is where we took our text from, Joshua gave the Israelites four options. He said, you can worship the gods of your fathers. That's basically whatever your mom and dad worshipped. If that was money, if that was food, whatever that is, you can choose to worship their god. You can worship the god of the Egyptians, which is the land that they came out of, so a god of the, their past. Or you can worship the god of the Amorites, which was the gods of the lands they were going into to possess. And then he said, or you can worship Yahweh or worship the true and living God. But he didn't give them an option to not worship anything, to say, no, I'm not going to be a worshiper at all because that's not an option for us. We are built to worship, and so we will worship something, okay? And so last week we talked about making sure we were intentional about what we worship by choosing. And choosing looks like this. When we choose to worship God, we remember what he's done, we acknowledge who he is, and we smash all other idols in our lives, right? But today we're going to talk a little bit about the battleground of these idols and of the gods that are fighting for the throne. And that battleground is your heart. And so this week's message is the gods at war, the battle for your heart. And um, it, I'm reminded of this great scene in Lord of the Rings. And uh, I'm a big nerd and I love those books and I love all those movies and and the scene is um, Aragorn has just, uh, and, and uh, Gandalf have just come onto the scene, and they're in, in Rohan. And they've just set King Theoden free from a spell that he's been under. If you don't know what I'm talking about, that's fine. But just understand he's been under con- mind control, and they've just set him free. And then King Theoden is kind of getting caught up with Aragorn about the condition of the world today, right? And so he's, Aragorn's telling him, that war is here, and, and how will we engage? And King Theoden says, I can't risk open war. And Aragorn says, war is upon you, whether you want it or not. And so I'm here to tell you today that war is upon you as well. There is an enemy that hates your soul. And you say, well, but I'm a lover, not a fighter. Well, let me tell you something, Mr. Lava Lava. There is an enemy who hates you. He wants to destroy you, and not because of you and who you are, but because of whose you are. Because God loves you so much, he is direct opposition to that. And so there is a war for you, because he wants to take you down with him. And so, this week, if the, the, where we want to land is, if you can manage the battle for your heart, you can win the war on your life. Here's an example where we're going this week. There's an old story. Uh, a bit of a parable of an older couple who moved into a house, and they got in, and this was kind of a fixer-upper kind of house, right? And they rolled in, and they decided that they were going to fix up the walls. They had all these kind of cracks in them. So they hire a painter, and the painter comes in, and he patches all, all the cracks in the walls. And he paints the walls, and the couple are happy. They pay the painter, and he leaves. And within a few months, there's cracks in the walls again. So the couple call, calls another painter, a different one this time, because they assume he did a bad job. And they call another painter. And this other painter comes in and he patches the walls. He paints. They're happy. They pay. He leaves. A few months later, the cracks are back. So they call yet another painter. 
This painter comes in and he says, listen, this looks like a job that's already been done before. And they confessed, yes, we've had two other painters come in here. They were horrible. The cracks came back. And he says, whoa, whoa, whoa. He said, the problem is not with the job that they did. He said, the cracks continue to reoccur because of your foundation. Your foundation is, is wrong. And because your foundation is off, these cracks are going to come back. So I can repair this, but the best thing for me to do is to fix the foundation. And so I think sometimes our life is like that. And I think that's often our approach to, to addressing the cracks in our lives, right? We want the easy fix. We just want to patch them up and paint over them. But have you noticed that they have a tendency to come back? There are certain things that always get you down. It's this day-to-day thing, whether it's you know, interactions with your spouse, interactions with your kids. Maybe it's something you're doing on your job, and you just say, man, I want to separate myself from that. And so you curtail your behavior for a little bit, behavior modification, right? And you change a little bit, but it always comes back. You always find yourself back in that same kind of state. And the Bible would teach that the foundation is what really needs your attention. And that attention needs to be focused on your heart. Because if you don't fix your heart, These things that you're trying to avoid, this sin that you want to separate yourself from, will come back over and over again. We're going to jump into the Bible verse today. By the way, if you are here today and you do not have a Bible and you would like one, we want to put one in your hand. So if you would just raise your hand up, let us know that you need a Bible. We'll give you one. This Bible is not just for today. This Bible is for you to take for the rest of your life. So please, there's pens on the seats. Please take a Bible. And and feel free to write in it, underline, do whatever you want to. This is your Bible. So take it. And today we are in Proverbs 4.23. So I'll give you a minute to flip there if you're following along in your Bible. If you're not, it is up on the screen. And we will will go from there. Okay? So this is a very small verse today that we're going to be reading. But it's Proverbs 4.23. And it says, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. There are three things to do here to be sure that God is the God of your heart. Because your heart defines your identity, your thoughts, and what you do. Everything flows from it, so it is the battleground where the gods go to war. So I want you to think about that. I'm going to say it again. Your heart defines your identity, thoughts, and what you do. Everything flows from it, so it is the battleground where the gods go to war. Let's start off with the beginning of this verse. It says, above all else. Above all else. In other words, we need to make sure that this is our greatest effort. This is our greatest priority. To treat your heart like it's your most valuable asset. I don't know about you, but if your heart stops beating or if my heart stops beating, I'm dead, right? I'm done for physically. And what is, the, what is the same, what is physically true is also spiritually true. If your spiritual heart stops or has a problem, you've got a problem as well. According to the American Heart Association, more than 80 million people in the United States, and that's more than one out of every four Americans, have some form of cardiovascular disease. Some of you have had problems with your physical heart, or most of us at least know someone that's had a heart attack or a stroke, and once that happens, it kind of changes how a person lives their life, right? Because a guy who's had a stroke, he starts following a very strict diet, he becomes much more physically active, he takes expensive medicines, he becomes committed to doing everything he can to protect his heart. Why? Because there's a sudden realization that nothing mattered more than the health of his heart, right? And our tendency is to give attention to what people see, 
we're external. We're very external people. We, we want people to like us. We want people to accept us. And so we have a tendency to take care of things on the outside. I mean, as long as things look good, then we tend not to give much concern to what's going on. And spiritually speaking, instead of focusing on our hearts, we make our focus this behavior modification thing, right? As long as I wear the right kind of clothes, as long, long as I say the right kind of things, then I'm okay. As long as I go to church on Sunday... I can live however I want to the rest of the week because I went on Sunday. People saw me there. I'm good. We've got this behavior modification thing. But I want to say something really, really powerful to you that really rocked my world once, and it still does, and it's, and it's the truth. Who you are when you're alone is who you are. Who you are when you're alone is who you are. If when you're alone, your behaviors change and are contrary to the way you behave when you're around everyone else, whatever you become, whoever you are then, is actually who you are. And if that doesn't line up with the word of God, then maybe there's a heart problem there. Maybe when nobody's watching, you kick the dog. But when everybody's around, you're like, who's a good boy? Who's a good boy? If you kick the dog when you're by yourself and that's the only time you do it, you're probably somebody that's got some anger issues or something. You need to deal with something there, right? But that's who you really are. And that's the truth. And whatever that is for you, you need to be confronted with that. For me, because of my past addiction to pornography, I have the opportunity to sit with men, young and old. And they sit down to discuss what their lives. And they, and they sadly tell me, and most of them with tears in their eyes, I've tried to kick this over and over again. I've tried to beat the odds. I've tried to conquer this sin. And I do for a couple months, or I do for a year, and then it comes back. And I fight it again, over and over again. They fight with this thing, and they're not sure why, but most of the time they tell me that they've modified their behaviors instead of addressing the issue of their heart. But if you address the heart, you'll address the behavior, because a heart bent on something will eventually control the behavior. Because where your mind can go, your life will soon follow. Right? So number two, the second part of this verse, it says, guard your heart. So above all, guard your heart. And this word guard means to diligently protect against the enemy. This word guard wouldn't appear in the Bible if there wasn't an enemy. So if you're still struggling with what I said at the beginning, that there is an enemy of your soul, you need to understand this word is there because of the enemy. And it's warning you, there is an enemy. So guard against your heart. When we are uh, commanded to guard, an enemy is assumed. And when your guard is up, you aren't passive. You're proactive, right? This isn't something you're not waiting on something to happen. You are watching for something to happen. You're paying attention to the enemy. I'm going to read this to you, and this is a description of Fort Knox. You want to talk about guarded. This place is guarded, right? Because they house some of our gold reserve for the entire country. And so Fort Knox is home to much of the nation's gold reserve, and that gold is housed. And listen to this. this is, they have been intentional about guarding it because they realize how value it, valuable it is and how much other people want to steal it. That gold is housed in a two-story building constructed of 16,500 cubic feet of granite, over 1,400 tons of steel, and 4,200 cubic yards of concrete. The vault door weighs more than 20 tons. No one person has the combination. Various staff must dial separate combinations known only to them, and there are four guard boxes surrounding the structure. 
and it's equipped with the latest in security technology, and every precaution is taken. Why? Because what's inside is that valuable. And so when the Bible says, above all else, we make it a priority. Guard your heart. Why? Because what's inside your heart is valuable. And the, next, and the reason why and what is valuable is the next part. It says, everything flows from it. Your heart beats 100,000 times and pumps, and pumps 2,000 gallons of blood every day. Everything flows through your heart, and so it must be protected. It must be guarded. What's true physically is true spiritually. In Hebrew culture, the heart was seen differently, right? The Hebrews knew that if you put your hand on somebody's wrist, you could feel a faint beat. Then they also knew that if you touched the neck, you could feel it. And then there was other parts of the body they could put their hand on, and you could feel the heartbeat. But where they felt it the most was when they put the hand on the chest. And so they said, this is the center of the body, and the heart resonates at the center. And so they, they believed that that's where everything flowed from. And so it stood to reason that everything flowed there from the heart. And so to the Hebrew, not only blood, but personality, motives, emotions, and will flowed from there. And here's an example of that Hebrew idea. In Proverbs 27, 19, it says, as water reflects the face, so one's life reflects the heart. As you look into water, you can see your own reflection. And as I look into your life, or as we were to look into my life, you would see my decisions, my pursuits. We talked about last week, your search history. What is it that you're chasing after? It reveals my heart or your heart and the God that we are serving. The heart is the truth of your identity, and that's why the gods fight so fiercely for every inch of it. And what God wins the war for your heart has a lot to do with how diligently you guard it. So let's talk about a few ways that we guard our hearts. We've landed where, all right, it's important. We need to guard the heart. And because everything flows from it, all of our life, everything, who we are, what we do is all determined by our heart. So if you believe that, then there's some steps that we can take. There are four the very first one that we can take to, to put up our defenses and protect our hearts is something called accountability. Now, sometimes the emphasis and accountability within the church is almost exclusively behavior-focused, right? But deeper accountability comes when we allow someone to see our hearts. And that's a little harder to do, but the Bible says in James that that's exactly what we're supposed to do, right? In James it says to confess your faults one to another. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm incredibly uncomfortable with calling somebody up or going face-to-face with an accountability partner, which I have people in this room who are mine, going face-to-face with them and saying, hey, I sinned this week, and here's how I got there. It started with this, and I didn't keep my guard up. And then I did this, and I allowed it, and I entertained the idea of this, and then the next thing you know, I was doing this. That's not very comfortable, is it? We don't like that. But I will tell you this, that if you don't, sin is damaging. Sin destroys from within, right? And if you're afraid of getting that out, it'll stay there. Now, it's not that God won't forgive you. You're going to confess your sins to him. He's going to forgive you. But if you want true healing, we must find accountability. And accountability is only found where God intended it to be found, and that's in relationship. And so we confess our sins, and that verse goes on to say, we confess our sins one to another and pray for one another so that we we may be healed. Let Let me just charge you. If somebody comes to you and confesses their sin to you, and you are the one just listening to it, you are charged with judging them, 
condemning them and sending them to hell. No, that's not true at all. That's not true at all. Some of you are sitting there going, yes, yes. I don't know if you're nodding off to sleep and that's what's going on here. (laughs) You're just going to allow me to say that. It's not true. Your job is to pray for them, to accept them, to love them, and be be accountability partners for them. Because if they're confessing to you, they're already broken. That's a point of repentance. And I've said it before. Repentance is not a bad place to be. And we have to stop acting like it is. We have to stop acting like if somebody sins, that they are immediately going to hell, that they are not worthy of your time, they are not worthy of your love, they are not worthy of your respect. We have to stop that because let's level the playing field. Every single one of you is a sinner and so am I. Period. That's it. And so for you to have this better than thou kind of attitude is just wrong. But if we come to each other in humility, if they approach you in this moment of hurt, out of their humility and their brokenness. Don't you dare kick them while they're down. Pray for them. And God will restore them. Now some people want to come to you and they just want to confess their sin to you. So that way you will justify it. So you'll be like, well, you know, that was okay. That was okay. You know, she hurt you. You hurt her. She hurt you. So this this final thing that you did was okay. But don't be that person. Let sin be sin. Pray for them. Love them. And let them know. That's not okay. Second thing you can do. So first, we've got accountability. That helps guard your heart. The second thing is prayer. You ever notice how hard it is to pray when you're not guarding your heart? When something else is sitting on the throne of your heart, when you're pursuing other things, it's very difficult. When you've got a whole agenda in front of your day, and you wake up in the morning and that's what you're pursuing, when you're chasing after that, it's really hard to make time in the morning to pray, isn't it? It's very difficult. Because you've got something else that has taken priority. You've got something else that has sit, sitting on the throne of your heart. In Philippians 4, Paul says to pray about everything with thanksgiving. And that peace of God will guard your hearts in Christ Jesus. How do you do that? Well, here's an example. Anybody ever had a situation where you've got more month at the end of your money? Right? There's more month at the end of your money and you're not really sure what to do. Pray. We'll say, I don't know how to pray. Well, make it sound like this. It says, God, help. I'm out of cash and I need help. I've done all I can can to be a good steward. I've saved. I've stayed within my budget. But we've had unexpected costs. Little Timmy had to go to the hospital. This is just an example. I don't have a little Timmy. And I thank you for the ability to pay for the medicine. There's your Thanksgiving. He needed to go to that he needed and the doctor's visit. But Lord, I've got nothing else. You've been faithful to me in the past and I know you'll be faithful again. There's no place I'd rather be than right where I am as your child in the palm of your hand. Do you see the shift? You initially come to God with a prayer request. And that's why Paul says prayer with thanksgiving. Because things like this, having more month at the end of your money, can seem very, very heavy. You're not sure where the groceries are coming from, how you're going to get to work, how you're going to pay for your gas. You're not sure. And that can be very, very heavy. But we serve a really, really big God who always answers in big ways. Right? Now, we don't serve the bailout God, the one who I live any way I want to. And then at the end of the month, I go, hey, God, I need a little help. God's not a vending machine, and he can't be manipulated that way. He's a loving father. And any loving father, if you treated God that way, would stop or cut off that supply and say, no, you've got to be a better steward of your time and your money and your life. But when you pray with thanksgiving, there's a shift in your level of concern, right? In your worry, in your lack or your pain. And when you focus on, focus on God and what he's done, 
and who he is to you, when you pray with thanksgiving, there's this peace that settles in and it guards your heart. So prayer is that thing that, that will guard you because that peace that will surround you when we know who God is. I, I, I had the experience recently of some friends whose daughter was sick and dying and in the hospital and they didn't know what was wrong with her. And this question was presented to me, Aaron, I know that the Bible says that I'm supposed to pray and I'm supposed to offer thanksgiving, but how do I do that? I'm not thankful for this situation. I'm not thankful that my daughter's in the hospital. And it occurs to me, and I started thinking through, like, how in the world do we do that? I know we're not thankful for the pain. Now, there's so, there are some pains that we experience in our life that at the other side of them is joy, but we don't have that promise for everything. Some of those pains where there's joy on the other side is childbirth, right? That's a painful process. That's nine months and then a lot of pain, some recovery, but there's great joy on the other side when a child is born until, of course, they become a pain. But, but I watched as, as she struggled with this and she had started to internalize and I shared with her, I said, you know, it would be silly for you to thank God that your child is sick and in the hospital. God's not looking for you to be disingenuous. He's not looking for you to say things to tickle his ears. God knows your heart already. And all God wants you to do is pray and offer thanksgiving. And I shared that with her. And let me tell you something. That helped her. That guarded her heart because she remembered the, the thanksgiving part was to be thankful for what God had done in the past because it reminds you of his faithfulness. It reminds you of who he is and how great big he is and how in the middle of this situation, God's got your back. Regardless of what that outcome may be, regardless of how it is, we submit ourselves in prayer and become the clay that's on the potter's wheel saying, have your way with me, God. That's a shift. And that's a place that your heart is guarded. God didn't say, when you come to me, everything's going to be okay. Nobody's going to get sick. Nobody's going to die. You're going to have all your bills paid. He didn't say that, right? He said he cares about your heart more than anything. And so with my friends, I know that they began to, to praise and to thank God for his faithfulness in their lives and say, God, we don't understand this, but we know that we're your children. And I want to tell you the testimony of this, this family is, is that child was healed. It came out of the hospital. They, they, she almost died. They don't even know where she got it or how it happened. But she almost died and she came out of the hospital and they came out. And during that time, the husband, he, he didn't have uh, vacation time at work, but he had to take a week off work. And when he got back, to, we prayed. And when he got back to work, his boss said, hey, listen, I'm going to pay you for that time off. I'm going to just give it to you. And he blessed him. And then all during that time, God continued to show his faithfulness to him. As money was just showing up in their, in their mailbox. Day after day, people just giving him cash, handing him money. Saying, here, we're going to help you take care of the, the, the needs of this situation. And you know what's even greater than that? See, when you live a life where your heart is guarded, and you're thankful and you'll pray, they got the hospital bill for what their insurance didn't cover and couldn't cover. And guess what? It's zero. They didn't have to pay anything. Now, am I telling you that if you pray and give thanks that everything is going to work out that way? No. But in this situation, a heart or, that was guarded... By the peace of God, because of prayer and thanksgiving, God brought them out and blessed them through it all. And it was an amazing story, and, I, and I'd love to tell you more about it another time. Number three, the third thing that you can do, so we've got prayer, we've got accountability, 
The third thing is scripture meditation. See, it's not just about what we guard our hearts from. It's also what we open our hearts to, right? David prayed in the Psalms, I have kept your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So I want you to think about that for a second. Think about those words. I have kept your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. That means that something from within can affect your without, what's happening on the outside. Now, it doesn't say that if we keep God's word in our heart, if we meditate on it, if we think about it, that we won't sin. David said, I have kept your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. It's one of those guards. It's one of those things that can help you. So what is meditation? A lot of us think it's like this. We're sitting like this with our legs crossed and we're going, oh, and that's not, that is meditation, but that's not the meditation that God is talking about. Meditation looks as simple as this. Grab a scripture verse. Maybe you get one for the day. Maybe write it on a little card and keep it in your pocket. For me, I'm intentional about meditation because I understand the importance of it. I understand that thinking about God's word is what gradually changes me and does what the Bible talks about, takes us from glory to glory to glory. And for me, my meditation looks like this. I have an alarm on my phone at 11 o'clock and 3 o'clock. I begin my day with prayer in the word. And at 11 o'clock, I've got a little card in my pocket. My alarm goes off and it reminds me because I'm just, I'm completely ADD. Squirrel kidding i end that way though i run all over the place and my mind is all over the place but i have something to draw me in intentionally 11 o'clock i pull out the card and i look and i allow god's word to wash over me and i think about the verbiage that he used and i think about my life and how i am shaping up to that during the day that's meditation it's thinking about god's word and you'll see that that word will begin to change you and to to wash over you the, the perfect example for this, I love Old Testament stuff. When you look at what the things that they did, they were foreshadowings of what we're supposed to do. In the tabernacle plan, there was the outer court, the inner court, and the Holy of Holies. And in the outer court, they, that's where an, a sacrifice was made. Because without the shedding of blood, there was no remission of sins. And so people had to bring a sacrifice, an animal, a live sheep or a goat or something. And there was a priest and this priest would bring the animal up onto the altar and you would go up with it. You would put your hand on this. Now you have to understand to sacrifice a lamb once a year or a goat. Cattle were considered part of your family. And a lot of these were tenderly and lovingly raised. And so to bring your most prized lamb, it meant something. So they go up and they put their hand on the, on the lamb. They would confess their sins. And then the, the priest would slit the lamb's throat so that the blood would flow out onto the altar. And I don't know if you've ever been cut or seen a deep wound that actually hits like an artery, but there's like this thing called arterial spurt, or maybe I'm making that up, I'm not sure, but it's a spray of blood. And so, I know, I'm so sorry if I just grossed you out. But it's this spray of blood, this initial spray of blood, and the priests would get blood on their hands or blood on their, on their outfit and possibly on their face. And so there was a basin right behind the altar. And I promise I'm going somewhere with this, Okay not just to gross anybody out, but there was a basin there. And the basin was filled with water, and at the bottom of the basin were mirrors. And the priest would go to the basin when he was finished with the sacrifice, and he would look into the basin. And the basin had those mirrors down there, and he could see where the blood was on his body. Now the priest did not wash his hands in the basin, because to do that would pollute the water, and the mirrors would be pointless. He couldn't see anything. He had a ladle, and he drew the water out, and he used that water that he drew out of it to wash himself. Now watch where I'm going with this. In the Bible, it talks about the word. The word of God is compared 
to the water. Washing of the water with the word is what it says. And so the word is like water to us. When we look into the word, we see our filth. We see our sin. We see ourselves. And as we draw out the water, when we draw it out, that's the only time that it washes us. And we draw it out through prayer. We draw it out through meditation. Find a verse. One, one verse a day. Take, it, take a small thing and focus on it. Meditate. Because as you meditate on it, it washes you step by step from glory to glory. Just like they did in the Old Testament. And I love the, the foreshadowing there. Because that's what they did then and that's what we do now. We don't hang out in, the, in that whole Bible and just kind of rub it all over ourselves. We draw out a single verse. Draw out something, and little by little we wash ourselves out. The last thing we can do is practice holy thinking. When Paul wraps up Philippians, he tells the people in Philippians 4, 8, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. You know, we're constantly Googling or searching the net or watching 24-hour news. And I don't know how many of you have thought or considered what it is that you're taking into your eyeballs or when you're driving down the road and you're just listening to a song, if you consider what you're listening to. Or maybe you're hanging out with a friend and the content goes south. I'm not sure what it is for you. But you're constantly taking in things. In fact, today in this day of, of media, we've got everything we need Right here at the, at the tips of our fingers, there is so much information coming at us at all times. But the content of that can influence your thoughts. And the Bible tells us that we're to think on these kind of things. True, noble, right, pure, lovely. And when we think about it through that filter, are all the things that you're allowing into yourself, are they those things, right? He says to think on these and be intentional about it, and that's great. But what you're thinking about usually is what you allow in. So when you're watching your favorite TV show and a naked butt comes on the screen, what do you do? Do you change the channel? When the content of that show that you're, that you're watching goes south, do you stay there? Or do you change the channel? If the radio play starts playing a song, which I don't, there's, you know, I don't want to talk about any one thing and bring anybody under condemnation, but there's, there's one song in particular. Man, it is catchy. And it comes on the radio, and I'm like, yeah, it's awesome. Get a groove and start dancing to it. But if you think about what they're saying, oh, dear Lord. I, I'm, I'm like, I don't want to change the station because I like the groove of the song. But the content of it is dangerous to my heart. And so I change it. But taking time every day to think about things intentionally that way and making sure that what we're thinking about is important. So we tend to put emphasis on behavior, modification, because the results are immediate and obvious, and that approach is like filling cracks, painting over them, instead of focus on our foundation, which is our heart. The best place to begin is to make sure that you're, you've invited Jesus to make his, your heart his home. And today, if you're here and you haven't done that yet, I'll give you an opportunity in just a moment. I want to let you know that in the next coming weeks, we're going to explore some of the gods that are battling for your heart. But this week, it's all about guarding your heart. Making sure that this week when you go forward, maybe write that verse down. Maybe make sure that you are intentional. That above all else, guard your heart. Because everything flows out of it.
Absolutely everything. So if you're here today and you have not made Jesus Lord of your life and you'd like to make that commitment, you say, Aaron, I'm here. I have never, ever said Jesus be Lord of my life. And if that's something you want to do today, you have an opportunity right now. I'd ask every head to bow, every eye to close. I don't want to embarrass anybody. I'm not going to make you come up to the front. I just want to know that you're here. So if you close your eyes, I'm going to ask you. Aaron, I've lived a life that is unguarded. I've allowed anything and everything in to influence my thoughts. Maybe you've even even come from a home where God is not talked about or even God is talked against. But you're here today and you have an opportunity. You've heard the word. You know you've felt something. You've felt something that is alive inside of you as a result of hearing the gospel. And you want to respond, but you don't know how. Let me just tell you, the simple response is this. If you'd raise your hand, just let me know you're here and that you would like to make Jesus Lord of your life. I'll pray for you. You can put your hands down now. Thank you. And I'll pray for you. And I'll pray that every day forward that God reveals himself to you more and more. And that experience that you had today, that it would continue through the week, that you would learn the importance of guarding your heart. So let's pray. Father, I just, I thank you for a beautiful day and what a beautiful week we've had. As I've enjoyed time outside, it's, it's been hard not to look at creation and just go, wow. Look at that. Look how creative you are and how amazing you are, God. And I, was, I found myself lost in just the beauty of, of your creation. Just thank you for this week. Lord, I thank you for all those that are gathered here today. For Lord, for those that have said, today, I want to make Jesus Lord of my life. Father, I ask that you would fill their lives completely. Fill them in such a way, Lord, that they encounter you, God. And in a way that is undeniable. Lord, in a way that for the rest of their lives, they will remember today as the day they crossed that line of faith. That you were forever real to them. Lord, I pray that as they confess you as Lord, that you would forgive them of their sins. That you would cleanse them, God, of all unrighteousness. That you would fill them with your spirit and show them every day how to live for you. And that they can go forward knowing to guard their heart so that what springs out of it is love. What springs out of it is forgiveness. What springs out of it is restoration, peace, joy, and happiness. So Lord, I pray for my friends today that have said, Jesus, be Lord. And Father, I lift up the rest of those that are here today, God, and I ask, Lord, that you would just remind us regularly, help us, God, to guard our hearts. Lord, if we place an idol on the throne of our heart, forgive us. Restore us into relationship with you today. For we choose you today, God. We choose you and none other. As we go forward this week, help us and remind us to guard our hearts so that in all of our relationships, what flows forward is just your love. We ask these things in Jesus' name. God, go with those that are here. Bless their week. Bless their finances. Bless their families. Heal their bodies, Lord. Reveal yourself to them in ways that you've never done before. Let us have an amazing week with you. In Jesus' name. Amen.
If you're here today and you need prayer for anything specifically in your life, I have people that are here at the front that will meet you here at the front. They've got badges on. It looks like this. And they are willing and ready.